Well, it is our privilege today um, to have our district superintendent with us, uh, to meet him really for the first time. Uh, he's been on the district about six months now, was elected at our last district assembly. Um, we were on the same district, uh, the Orpac district, for I was at Tillamook, he was at Bend, Oregon. For a few years, we overlapped there. God called him then to the district superintendency in Arkansas um, and now here in Colorado. And we're glad you're here. Yeah. And um, so we want to welcome you today and uh, ask God's blessing upon you as you share with us this morning. Come. Yes. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning, and I am so grateful for the opportunity uh, to to share the good word with you today. I want to thank you for the way that you serve and are a part of this community and also part of the Colorado District. I don't know if you know, but in the Church of the Nazarene, ministry is a team sport, and we do it together. And I am thankful for your part. I'm grateful for your pastor. He had the luxury of living on the coast. And uh, with all the seafood, he even brought it up last night and reminded me once again that they had seafood where they lived. And I was just in the mountains. And so, uh, man, I'm glad to see he's finally had to come suffer like the rest of us. Get away from the coast. But uh, grateful for your pastor, too, and looking forward to this afternoon when we'll have opportunity to uh, meet with the board. One, we, uh, your pastor did such a wonderful job of prayer, but it always helps me. So let's just pray one more time and uh, we'll just uh, help me to get myself all settled. All right, let's pray. Father, it is a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to share the word. And I do pray, Lord, that as as we share together, that your word would become life to us. And that we would be changed for having been here. Because we know we've met with you. We thank you for all that's happened in this service thus far. And we just pray that your spirit would continue to lead and to guide us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was in the first quarter of my fifth grade year. We were living in New Jersey, and my dad was in the Navy, and he had received a promotion, and that promotion caused him to have to go to Rhode Island to Officer Candidate School. And so my mom and the five kids were all going to be left in New Jersey, and so they decided, I think it was mostly for my mom's survival, that we would all move and be with my grandparents until he was done with school. And so uh, we moved from, uh, with my grandparents lived in Lima, Ohio. And so we, uh, sort of like the Beverly Hillbillies, we didn't load up the truck, but we loaded up the 65 Impala station wagon. You remember that was the great big long one where the seats, some of the seats sat facing where you had been as opposed to where you were going. You know, I've determined that's a great illustration for some churches, but that's a whole nother sermon. I'm not going to preach it today. 
But uh, anyhow, my mom was rather short, but, and this was also pre-seatbelt days, and we would like to sit in the back because then we could get away with more, at least we thought we could get away with more, but my mom, who had radar and eyes in the back of her head, she could come up over that front seat and she would stretch out across those three bench seats, swinging whatever she happened to get a hold of to bring order back into that car. Well, anyhow, we loaded up that car and we moved to Lima, Ohio. It was a whole nother school. My grandparents gave us the upstairs of their house, which was great. But as far as I was concerned, it was cramped quarters. We were moving in, but not really moving in. And it was just for a few, a few, a few months. I didn't like it. It was my second, fifth grade. I didn't like the living, living arrangements. I didn't like my grandparents thinking they could tell me what to do. I didn't like the food. I didn't like the very air I had to breathe. Oh, that feels so good, just getting that off my chest, you know. And so I convinced my brother that with just a little bit of finesse, we could probably make a difference in our entire family and run away. And so one November morning, we decided to run away. And I looked out the curtain and during the night, now I find out it can snow the same way in Colorado, say only the way it can snow in Ohio. It had snowed about like, well, when you're fifth grade, it seemed like it was like this high. But you know, it's probably about that much snow. And I decided that running away is not a good idea for a lot of reasons. One, it's really cold. And two, all they had to do was follow our footprints and they'd be able to know wherever we went. So I determined plan B. And plan B was this. I would just make everyone's life miserable. Nothing better than a fifth grader with an attitude. (laughs) Now, I was only in fifth grade, so don't hold it against me. I've overcome most of that, all right? It was at that point in life that my grandparents went from being fun-loving grandparents to grouchy old people. Everything was sort of bad then. And I am sure that they were struggling already having my mom there and the five kids and, and, the, and the, you know, the cramped quarters and all. And so my attitude was just a wonderful addition to the living arrangement. I spent those four or five months living for another day, hoping and looking forward to our own home and everything would be just like it was Well, my dad came back and discovered he had orders to Washington. And so we went from Ohio to Whidbey Island, Washington. And actually, until they had Navy housing open for us, we were in a single wide trailer for three months. And you think living upstairs at Grandma and Grandpa's house is a challenge. Try being in a little single wide for three months until the housing opened. Whew! I don't even want to think about what my attitude might have been then. Well, in the book of Jeremiah, the people of God had been pushed out beyond the walls. Actually, they had been taken out of those walls and led into captivity in Babylon. They had been taken out of their city and their country. They had been placed in a foreign land. And they were there because of their disobedience to God. He told them it was coming and He told them that it would be harsh. And not only did they go, were forced out of their homes and their fields and crops were burned, but they had to leave that which they held most dear, that national symbol of all that they were and all that they believed, their temple. And the temple was torn down and destroyed. 
So not only did they go beyond the walls of their dear city, Jerusalem, but they were taken to a foreign country without anything familiar. They were taken to Babylon. And through the prophet Jeremiah, he, he gives them a message. It's a letter, actually, for people who live beyond the walls. You know, there are several theologians nowadays that say the church is the church in exile. That we're not at home anymore. That we, in fact, are living beyond the walls. And, and the words of Jeremiah are as much for us today as they were for those folks at that time. And the reason that Jeremiah wanted them to hear these words is they needed to know what God really had for them. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says this, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will also have welfare. See, the reason he was telling them that is there were some so-called prophets who had determined they were prophets who had dreams. And their dreams told them this. You just need to sit tight. It's only going to be a short while. There's no reason to unpack your bags. Just stay to yourselves. Let's sit this thing out. And sooner or later, everything will go back to normal. Just keep away from those folks who took us away from our home. Don't get too close to them. God is on the way. He would never leave us in a God-forsaken place like this. Well, He did. Seventy long years. Now the next few lines in the letter that Jeremiah wrote... They let them know exactly of how long it would really be. And Scripture is pretty familiar. It's sort of a fan favorite. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. My guess is it might be hanging on a wall somewhere in this place. And if it's not hanging on a wall here, it's hanging on a wall somewhere in one of your homes. Right? It's one that we just love. We, it, just, it just makes us warm and fuzzy every time we read it. Here's how it goes. It says this. Starts with verse 11. For I know the plans. You already know it, don't you? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. We love that verse. I mean, that's good news. He's going to bless us and we have a hope and we have a future. 
we typically don't remember that it was written in the context of exile. That there was a whole long time waiting to hear from God. And regardless of what God is doing in our lives at the moment, He invites us to faithfulness. You see, he wanted them to know it's not just going to be a short little while. Now, it's not forever, but 70 years might as well be forever. That there were many people who went to Babylon who never came home. There were folks who went to Babylon as kids who finally returned to Israel and Jerusalem as older people. There were folks there who would raise their families, who would start their homes, start their businesses. In Babylon. If we can believe the New Testament writers, which I think we can, we have some similar characteristics to those who are in exile. You see, you, you and I, we are also foreigners and, and exiles. That we're not at home. We're not meant to be at home. That we have, and we, yet we have some choice as to how we'll live here and now. We get to determine what it's going to be. The history of the church has been full of those moments where the church has closed its doors just to be sure that none of those people get in. That you have to look a certain way, behave a certain way, be holy in a certain way, and we have to determine who is and who is not. And there's always been those groups of people who have tried to abandon the world in which they live and separate themselves from the world. But the words of Jeremiah and the words of Jesus and the words of Peter, they give us this different picture of how you and I are to live outside the walls of what we know to be home. Jeremiah says this, doesn't he? He said, seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the blessing of God on the city. Now, folks, it was a pagan city. It was the city of Babylon. They were cruel. They were godless. They were fearless. And God himself tells the people of God, the Israelites, pray for them. Pray for their welfare. Make a difference in that city. Now here's how Jesus says it. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You already know this too. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp out and put, a bowl, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And why do they put it on a stand? So that it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's how Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. <laughs> Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You see, the people of God are not at home. You and I are not at home yet. And we are challenged to take our experience and our faith and our identity and wherever we find ourselves, our relationship with God, whatever day of the week it may be, whatever we are about. You and I, we are the people of God living God-filled lives wherever we find ourselves. That, I went, in my notes, is a good, is a good spot for congregation to say. (laughs) 
Maybe I need to back up and just say it all over again. You see, we are the people of God wherever we find ourselves. In the very best days of the church and people and the and the country, and in the very worst days, you and I are always the people of God. Our relationship with Him does not change. There are three things I, in this passage in Jeremiah that, that I'd like you to know this morning. The first one is this. You and I, if we are going to live beyond the walls, need to know who we are. And, and maybe better put, we need to know whose we are. You see, if we're going to be the people of God who are living out kingdom values in the moments of our day outside the walls, we better know who we are. I don't know about, I'm still new enough to Colorado that I don't know all the who's who, but have some of you ever been on a work witness trip? Raise your hand if you've been on a work witness trip. Great. Maybe your church has even hosted a work witness trip sometime in in the story of of the church. when we were in Bend, we did a local work witness trip every other year. And they hung them on the wall, the pictures of the, the tr- stories of the trips. And then in between those years, the youth would go on a trip. And they would usually go somewhere in the country, and the church then would go somewhere um, inter- international. And some of them for the youth were weekend trips, and there were some were a couple weeks long. But the, the opportunities of a work witness trip were always pretty much the same. A way to share the gospel and to, to get your hands in there and meet needs and build a building to make a difference, right? And it's an inspirational time, time for everybody, I think. It's, it's just, and God does amazing things during work witness. And he changes people's lives during work witness. And, and you see it and you just recognize that the kingdom is so much bigger than just us and just our place. That we're on special assignment even. Well, I have determined what the secret to a, a work witness team really is. It's the t-shirts. I'm, it's got to be. First of all, I've led a couple groups now and I have found out that usually the reason they're such bright colors is because those are the ones that are on sale, first of all. And second, that anywhere in the Houston airport, you can look out and you can spot these bright pink dots and you know that's your team. Okay, so that's the first thing I want you to know about the t-shirt. But the t-shirts are incredibly identifying. They always say a couple of things. The first thing the t-shirt says is where you're from. Longmont Church of the Nazarene, right? And then it usually says where you're going. Um, Belize, Africa, Ecuador, almost anywhere. And then it even tells you why you're going. Somewhere on their shirt is making a difference for Jesus. Changing lives one person at a time. Bringing light to darkness. I mean, there's all these different... But it gives you an idea where you're from, where you're going, and why you're going. Every t-shirt. Now, I have seen the most amazing thing happen. When everyday, normal, average Christians, some of them Nazarenes, put on that t-shirt, they become different people. They start loving people. I've watched him in the airport. Oh, no, no, no. You go ahead and go first. 
And I just turn around and look at him like, who are you? Because you know, just all of a sudden they're so kind and polite and generous and thoughtful. And it's got to be the t-shirt. I, I remember being in Ecuador. It had been a terrible flood. And these were two of the nicest ladies in our church. But, you know, they were just, they're just you know, they're just people. And all of a sudden they came up to me. Pastor, would it be okay if we skip out for a couple hours? Because we've met this lady. And she's sort of stranded in her home. She doesn't really have any food. And she's been sick and she can't get to the doctor. And we're just wondering if we could go and take her a few things to eat and pray for her. Uh, yeah. And then I realized, oh, wait, they're wearing the T-shirt. So it's not like they're really the same person they were before they put the T-shirt on. There's just something about a work witness T-shirt that changes people. All of a sudden they realize they have mission and they have purpose. They realize they're going someplace outside the walls, but they know exactly why they're going. It's on the back of their shirt. And because it's on the back of their shirt, everybody else knows why they're going. They better behave themselves. I decided this year at District Assembly... T-shirts for everyone. <laughs> now, we know it's more than T-shirts, right? But they sure seem to help. And you know, pastors aren't immune from this. I struggle. One of my greatest struggles is uh, standing in long lines at the bank. Now, I understand we don't have to do that as much anymore because of... Uh, yeah, thank you. But for those of us who don't, sometimes I just feel like I need to go in and see if my money is still there, you know. And so I, uh, I just, and when we were in Arkansas, I would have, Judy and I would have to make the deposits for the district. And I would just stand in that long line. And, and so you're standing there and you're waiting and you're standing there. And I don't know why, but you just figure that if you just tap your foot, maybe that'll help the line go faster. So, you know, I sit there. And then if that doesn't work, then you figure perhaps, I think it's all the way from that little that fairy tale about the three little pigs that I'm just going to huff and puff and blow your house down, that if I huff, the line will go quicker. So, you know, you're tapping and you're holding your, and you, the line doesn't move any faster. Finally, you get up to the line and you hand them your check. And you know what it says on the very top of your check? Church of the Nazarene. And she looks at the check and she looks at you. I just say, I forgot my t shirt. And just <laughs> let it go with that. <laughs> but you and I, we need to know who we are, whose we are. It doesn't depend on having the name of the church on a check, it doesn't depend on wearing the t shirt, does it? We are invited to know who. We are. You see, I believe that the destiny of folks is hanging on the ba- hanging in the balance, determined by knowing who we are, and then living out that full expression of Jesus Christ in our community. Know who you are. Know whose you are. There, there's a second truth that I want you to know this morning. Today may be the only day you have. So live it to the fullest. Be fully present even in exile. Know that we have a, have a direct order from God Himself even in exile to be a different people. I remember uh, uh, 
moving from Portland to Klamath Falls. That was probably said before you guys maybe were in Oregon. And I had been the children's pastor at Portland First Church. And um, it was definitely time. To, there was a pastoral change going on. And, and so we knew it was time to go. And so I got, received a call. And partly because we really feel like this is where the Lord would have us. And also because you're, you're saying, well, I'm not sure where else we're ever going to go. And so it was, it was from Portland, Oregon to Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now, has anyone here ever been to Klamath Falls? Some of these folks might. Okay. Now, you may, I mean, I, and I will tell you, I'm going to tell you the end of the story before the beginning of the story. The end of the story is my children would still tell you that at home. And if you want to go hiking and camping and all that, Klamath Falls is a wonderful place to raise a family. But I wasn't so convinced of that when I was being sent there to pastor the church. As a matter of fact, I was convinced I was being sent into exile. I mean, it's sort of... Well, it's not, and it may not be the armpit of Oregon, but it's right next to California, so you know it's got to be close. Okay, that was just a little jab at California. I apologize. And so I came up with a plan. I call it my five-year plan. That I could pastor and be anywhere for five years. And that five years is respectable in the pastor world. That if you pastor at a church for five years and you move on, people are going to say, oh, he did it. That was a good ministry. And, oh, you good job. And all that. And, and so you can, there's a certain respectability to five years. And so I, I, I determined that I could handle it for five years. I was going to be tough. I was going to, I was going to make it. Well, there's a bunch of other things going on in our world at the same time. And so I was seeing a counselor around that time. And I was telling him my five-year plan. Because I think, personally, it's genius. And uh, so I told him all about it. And, and he said, I, I have a question for you. I said, okay. And he said, what if God only wants you in Klamath Falls for nine months? I thought, first of all, I thought, well, he's not a very good listener. And second, apparently I'm not explaining it well. So I went through the whole thing again and told him all about the five-year plan, respectability. I could manage that amount of time and all those types of things. And he finally just he said, wait, wait, wait. He said, wait. He said, that's not the point. He said, what if instead of building a box around God, or what if instead of drawing a line in the sand and saying, all right, Lord, here's, here are the boundaries and here's the line. What if you just let the Lord have each day, one day at a time? What if you gave him each day fully engaged for him and with him? Fully engaged with others for God. That changes everything. You see, I'm here today because this is where God wants me and has placed me today. You are here where you are today. Living where you do, with the people you do, in the circumstances where you are today. Fully this day serving God in this place. We ended up living in Klamath Falls eight and a half, almost nine years. 
and cried and boo-hooed all the way out of town. You see, these exiles were getting some advice. They were being told, just keep your stuff. Just keep it in the bags. Don't pack it. Don't unpack it. Keep a stiff upper lip. It's going to be a short bit of time. God had given them a vision that He would never leave them there. And Jeremiah reminded them it was going to be 70 long years. That they were to make themselves at home and live in Babylon fully each and every day. Jeremiah said, you're going to move in. God wants you to set up housekeeping in Babylon. Can you imagine that? That they're going to invest in the community. They're going to get involved in the civic groups. They're going to make themselves at home there. They're going to have kids and they're going to give up names like Reuben or Sarah and Seth. And they're going to take on names like Zerubbabel and Belteshazzar and Sennacherib. I can't even spell it. Can you imagine writing that on your Christmas card every year? That they're going to become a part of the city of Babylon. They're going to be the people who live there. And God wants them to understand this very important truth. That you could live in Babylon and still not lose your identity as a part of the people of God. Recognizing that they can have a positive impact on that place that they're going to call home. That <laughs> the scripture tells them that they're to seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. The place that drugged them, the people who drugged them from their homes and took them away. They're to pray for those people. They are to pray and desire the welfare of their foreign home. They are to desire to see the city of Babylon blessed. And God reminds them that when a city is blessed, the members of that city are blessed as well. And that when a city prospers, so do the people. That had to be a game changer for these folks. This is a new way for them to think. You see, I, they didn't get to go like pick out their retirement home and downsize, move to a nice neighborhood with a lawn service to take care of the lawns. These were folks who were taken against their will. They were exiles. Their towns, their place of belonging was destroyed. The, the temple was the very center of who they were, had was torn down. The walls of their city, their security was just crumbled. And God seems to be saying to them, I will be your place of belonging and I will be your center of being and I will be your security see it's not a place it's a relationship and we can take that anywhere jobs gone homes gone lots of reasons they could have hated being there I mean Babylon was a had the people of Babylon had made them miserable and they could have made it miserable back. And the natural man would have wanted to do that. But the people of God now hearing the word of God. It's going to be a long time. Make yourselves at home. Make it the best home possible. That's a game changer. 
And when you get to verse 7, that simply, and my scripture says welfare. Some of your scriptures, the translations may say uh, to, to seek the prosperity of the city or for the city to prosper. Uh, some of them may even say to seek peace on the city or seek blessing on the city. You, you know what the Hebrew word is? It, it's the word shalom. Shalom is the peace of God. It's the prosperity of God. It's the welfare of God. It's the well-being that God provides. And Jeremiah is telling these folks in exile, they're going to be there a long time and they are to make themselves at home. And a key part of being at home is when you're a part of the family of God is to bring the reality of God with you wherever you are, wherever you find yourselves. And that you are going to bring the reality of God into the daily life of of your life and their lives into your realm of influence. Jeremiah is inviting these Hebrews to bring the peace and the prosperity and the well-being of God, the shalom of God, into their homes, into the civic arena. He's telling them to pray the blessing of God on people who don't even know God, don't even like them, don't even like their God. And instead he says, pray for the prosperity and the blessing of these people. And shalom is one of these words that is totally pervasive. It becomes a part of your identity. It's not just something you take off and you put it on, you take it off and you put it on. But instead it becomes a part of who you are. And he says, make yourselves at home in this place. And don't simply bloom there, but bless that place. Live to the fullest the shalom of God. And you only have today. You only have today. Know who you are. Know whose you are. Live each day to the fullest. There's a third truth that is found in this passage that I want us to be aware of this morning. It's, it's this. It, there should be something different about the people of God. Don't you think? The people of God should be, they should be the very best. The words of Jeremiah weren't simply a spiritual blessing on the city. But Shalom's one of those words that invades every human relationship. You see, what does it mean to seek the welfare of, of the city? What does it mean to seek the welfare of, uh, of Longmont and the people of this city? I think it means that we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Typically, we're going to find ourselves in, in places where they're not followers of Jesus. We, we grew, some of us grew up believing we live in a Christian nation. That probably never was a reality. Because nations aren't Christian, people are. Relationships are affected by Christianity which affects policies and changes. And you may live in a place that's not even interested in Christianity. And it doesn't change who we are. You see, to seek the welfare of the city means that the very best workers in the city of Longmont are the people of God. 
It means that the very best neighbors in the city of Longmont are, are, are the people of God. The very best bosses in all of Longmont and all surrounding area are the, are the people of God. That the very best customers that walk in and out of stores and banks and everywhere else are the people of God. It means that the best teammates on the soccer league or the bowling league or the pickleball league or whatever your league happens to be are the people of God. It means that the very best Peacemakers, the, the folks who are making a difference in the way relationships work are the people of God. The very best business people in all of Longmont are the people of God. And now I just want to step just maybe across the line a little bit, but the most courteous drivers in all of Longmont are the people of God. Because shalom is one of those things that affects us in every way. You see, and our responsibility, the responsibility of these folks, it seems like it's very interesting to me that in Jeremiah, these people are sent into exile. God writes them a letter and says, make yourself at home. And even though they're sent to exile, he gives them a mission and a purpose, doesn't he? I mean, we don't even get three verses into his letter to the people. And he's saying, pray for the welfare of this place and bless it. Live like a follower of God. Make a difference there. You and I have the same call right here. That the people of God, we have the privilege to make this place different. By the way we live out our relationship with Him. And the reality is that when we bring the reality of God into every circumstance, into situations, into relationships, into the work environment, wherever we find ourselves in Longmont, the reality is Longmont prospers. And when that happens, guess what? So do we. And as followers of Jesus, we know that when people see and meet and hear about and are introduced to Jesus, the kingdom prospers. What did Jesus say? That they should see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. The reality is, that we're not always so good at this. And maybe we just need a letter from God. A letter that just tells Him to seek the welfare of the city. And a letter that says, let your good deeds shine before men. And a letter that says, live such good lives among the pagans. We already have that letter. And our invitation is to live it out. The church knows it has a problem, or should know it has a problem, when we are known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're the people of God. We are here until we are fully reassigned somewhere else, we are here as the people of God. Living it out daily, in small ways and in big ways. Living out our relationship with God so that others see Him and experience Him and know Him. So the question for you and for me is this, is how, uh, how is life in exile? How are we doing? What changes 
need to be made in our lives so that we can fully live out the call that God has on us. The relationship that he has for us. How can we live fully making a difference for the kingdom with people who really don't know about nor may even care about the kingdom of God? I want to invite you in these days to know him. And to know you are His. I want to invite you to live each day fully. And I want to invite you and me. Let's make a difference here. For the sake of the kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Father. It is a privilege to be your sons and daughters. And we know, Lord, that we are here with your purpose in mind. I pray, Lord, as I heard earlier today in this service, that you would just bring to mind those folks in our lives who do not know you, but who desperately need to see Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us to be the people of God. Not based on our attendance in this place or where we hold our membership or past stories about the good old days in the church, but based on our vital and living relationship with you today. Lord, may it be true of us that we pray for the welfare and the blessing and the peace and the prosperity of this place we call home. May it be true of us that we take that shalom, that peace and prosperity, that relationship with God, and may it be so much a part of our lives that others will see and know Him. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's never met Jesus, who would just simply hearing the words from the Old Testament just say, that's the kind of life I want. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak truth and give them that invitation today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope we have. Thank you for the call who makes us different. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Sid. Convicted by something that someone else preached. Is that a double whammy or something? God help us to live up to what we heard from the people of Scripture today. Amen? Well, thank you for being here. Trust that you are blessed. And uh, God bless you as you go with His grace and peace this morning. You are dismissed.